At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for Ghosts and Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Spears, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and got a tremendous podcast for you. In the second segment, we're going to be talking about the Final Four with our good friend Ryan Rossi, and he does the Bet Rivers CityCast out there in lovely Pennsylvania, more specifically the city of Philadelphia, as we know. It's the epicenter of a lot of that is going down in the sports world. you got the Philadelphia Phillies getting set for their season. Philadelphia 76ers said, oh yeah, the Villanova Wildcats are going to be playing without their second leading scorer in Justin Moore. So we're going to be looking at both of those games, how Villanova is going to try to scheme up things to try to get themselves a victory against Kansas as well, and also going to chat with them about some of the coaching hires that we've seen out there in the Big East as well, as we've had a pair of those. So going to have a great segment there, and then in the final segment, saw a lot of movement with regards to the transfer portal, wound up seeing Xavier's former head coach wind up getting hired, and I can tell you right now, I'm not necessarily too bullish on it, so we're going to take a look at the transfer portal moves, the coaching moves, and then give you guys picks and analysis. On Coastal Carolina versus Fresno State, the basketball classic final as we had some bank shots. First things first, always do love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If you got one or two ways, we'll fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gunit underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters him. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline and the other ways via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Them from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really didn't wind up getting in any questions today, but we did wind up having the NIT final yesterday, so let's take a look back at it and how Xavier was able to regroup after the canning of Travis Steele to be able to win a title. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Xavier gets the job done 73-72 to in just the third over that we've seen in college basketball since the Sweet 16 wound up beginning last Thursday, so... It certainly has been an underpalooza in college basketball recently as the three games have wound up going over the total. Two involved Xavier these last week or so, and then the other game was at Texas Tech versus Duke. 
Sweet 16 game. So, you've been noticing darn near like 90% of these games in college basketball have gone under the last week. You wind up having Xavier go 7 of 18 from three point range, and the two guys that wind up really powering this team to victory when it comes to the scoring aspect, that would be Kobe Jones along with Dewan Odom. Odom had 18 points, and Jones was able to chip in there 21 himself. You wind up having Jack Dunch give you 15 points, 11 boards. Did wind up missing a couple free throws as Xavier wound up going into 15, but these guys were able to do a solid job with Jones going 3 of 5 from three point range, and for Texas A&M, they won the battle on the glass by kind of 32-31, and to their credit, they went 21-25 of 25 at the free throw line with Quentin Jackson headlining this 23 points, 12-14 at the line, did wind up having six rebounds, but when the team needed to get offensive rebounds, Texas A&M was not able to get them 13-11. to 11. They wound up losing the turnover battle as well, and for Texas A&M, you wound up having a little bit of a rough situation from three-point range. 5-14 from three-point range. The bench actually wound up going three of five from three-point range, so that means that the Stars, they went two of nine, so that was a little bit tough for this team as Xavier, they are able to get it done. They get the NIT championship. They were looking like they were going to be a top five seed in the NCAA tournament in January. They then wind up completely flailing under Travis Seal. He gets canned, and then the interim coaching regime takes over to be able to win an NIT title. You just love to see it, and Travis Seal, by the way, he wound up picking up a new job, so we'll be talking about that in the final segment, but here in the second segment, we're looking at the final four with our good friend Ryan Rossing of the Bet River City cast for Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, we're going to be chatting with them about the Final Four next right here on Coast Coast Seats with myself, Greg Eves-Dearson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for Coast Coast Seats with myself, Greg Eves-Dearson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it's great to be joined by our guests as this man hosts the Beeson Philadelphia CityCast, something that we do over here at the Vegas Ads and Information Network. He holds it down in the great state of Pennsylvania. That is presented by Bet Rivers. He also does some great work over there with Sports Radio WIP. For those of you guys that are familiar with the landscape of Philadelphia sports, that's one of the best radio stations out there. As we've got Ryan Rossi joining me on the podcast, you're able to follow him on Twitter at WiseRye. Rye is spelled R-Y-E. And Ryan, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you. Greg, always a pleasure, man. We got a lot to talk about. Let's do it. Absolutely. I know that your city cast is just jam-packed. MLB season is coming about, which means that you're going to be talking a lot of Phillies. Obviously, the Philadelphia 76ers, where are they going to be seated when it comes to the postseason? Will Joel Embiid be able to win the MVP? list goes on and on there. But on top of that, we've got a Final Four game involving one of your teams out there in Philadelphia, and that would be the Villanova Wildcats. And they're really the most unknown team in the Final Four right now, just because the injury to Justin Moore, it does cause a little bit of mystery as to how Villanova is going to be playing this game. I personally think that Villanova is going to try to do what they wound up doing last year when Colin Gillespie was out for the NCAA tournament, slow it down to a crawl, try to make things as sloppy and just as sad to watch as humanly possible, for lack of a better term. I'm not sure what you've been hearing out there in the city of Philadelphia, but is that sort of the sense that you're getting as to how Villanova is going to try to manage with the injury? I think that's the only way 
they can go about it, Greg. You look at what Villanova does well and their style of play and how they want to dictate the style of these fights, so to speak, that they're in come March Madness time and really just throughout their entire regular season. But it's to slow you down. It's let's get into our offensive sets in the half court. And ideally, if we can take the shot clock down to five seconds or less and get a good shot, you know, 10 seconds or less, whatever it may be, that's what they want to do. There's just a lot of talk nationally, just when you're talking about this Villanova team. And people aren't wrong when they say this, but a lot of the talk is, well, they play small ball. They play four guards. They want to space you out. It's always about the offense. And you know that's offense is sexy, so I don't blame you. But something that's, I think, slightly overlooked with this Villanova basketball team, Greg, and you know this, but for the listeners, they're no slouch on defense either. So on offense, they're going to want to slow the game down. They have a tall task now on the other side of the floor on defense, but they're an elite defensive squad as a unit. Now, what does the more absence do? Because yes, he's their second leading scorer this year, just under 15 points per game at 14.8, but something underrated and overlooked about more individually, he's probably their best on-ball defender and just defender period that they have. So they lose 15 points per game. They lose that backcourt one-two punch now of Gillespie and Moore, which was viewed as a dynamic elite duo. Now it becomes a one-man band with Gillespie. Caleb Daniels has to step up now off the bench, inserted into the starting lineup. And I don't know what the heck the bench is going to look like if Jay Wright goes to it much at all. So there's a lot for this team to overcome. And like you said, what is the value now, both from the betting perspective and just point blank period, Villanova's chances of winning this game without one Justin Moore? That is the age-old question, but Villanova's going to continue to do what they want to do best, Greg. Yep, there's no question about it. We are not going to be seeing some sort of like an 80 possession game or anything like that, unless if we wind up getting more overtimes than we could ever imagine in this one, as we do have Ryan Rossi joining me on the podcast. And take a look at it. Line is currently in most places. Wildcats being a four and a half point underdog with your total right around 133-ish, give or take a little bit. I thought that there was value on Kansas when they were a three and a half point favorite. Now that we're up to four and a half, This is pretty much what I would be making the line personally. I think that this is going to be a case of which Villanova is never really leading in the game, but they don't allow themselves to get blown out because of their style. I think that every single time it looks like Kansas is going to pull away, Villanova winds up being able to keep themselves close because I do have a lot of respect for Jay Wright. I do think that he's one of the best coaches in all of college basketball and anyone that tells me otherwise, I don't know what you're taking a look at, but (laughs) I do think that with regards to the line on the spread, Right now, if you're looking to bet it, I'd be waiting on a little bit of a line move one way or the other. But I certainly think that whoever winds up getting just 65 in general is going to win. I do think that the 133 in this spot is just too high. You know, this is tough. Like when I look at it, let me start with the total, right? Like the total at Bet Rivers Sportsbook and PA, which powers our CityCast podcast slash shows here for VEASAN. So at Bet Rivers, Greg, it's at 132.5. That's extremely low. I mean, right, you look at the other matchup, UNC-Duke, 151.5. It's almost a 20-point difference. I still like the under, right? Like, And, and people are going to maybe look at me a little crazy. And you look at what the public's been doing thus far, 60% towards the under at Bet Rivers last time I checked, and just a ton of money coming in on Kansas Moneyline. And against the spread. I still like the under because 
You look at what Villanova's been able to do in their recent games. I know it was w- with Moore, but now even with Caleb Daniels into the starting lineup, I think they're going to be okay to start this game, and they're going to want to slow it down to a crawl even slower than that if they can, as you mentioned. And they've been getting out to relatively strong starts the last three straight tournament games. They've gotten to 20 points before their opponent has. So like you said, I think they're going to be able to come out and weather the storm, play the game how they want it to be played, which is ugly and slow. And I still like the under. Kansas is a good defensive team. So is Villanova. I see a very low scoring game, maybe not 50-44 like Villanova-Houston in the Elite Eight, but I certainly like the under as my best bet. And as far as the spread, I reluctantly say plus four and a half with Villanova. Am I too close to the situation? I might be. I'll admit that. I might be. But four and a half with a team that has two titles in the past five tries. I mean, you look at all these teams in the final four, Greg. Title since 2005. UNC has three. Nova has two. Duke has two. Kansas has one. Villanova continues to get overlooked in the blue blood conversation, in the greatest programs in the country conversation. So let's give them some respect. And I'll lean hesitantly with the four and a half, but my best play is probably the under 132 and a half. Yep, I'm right there with you. When it comes to the spread, I want to make it my number four and a half. So it's a case of which I'd be in wait and see mode. You get down to four or less. Kansas is a solid play, in my opinion. Once you get north of five, that's when I really think the value starts to come about with Villanova. So I do think that that is something that I'm going to be taking a look at with this personally. And you got to figure that we're going to see a little bit of movement before Saturday. And then in the other game, North Carolina versus Duke, the folks out there in Indianapolis have to be very happy about the ratings that they're going to be getting in this one. I know that North Carolina was actually out there in the great state of Pennsylvania within the last few days. And it's really been stunning to see what we've seen out of North Carolina. It was currently a four-point underdog. I think that this is relatively a correct line as well. We saw some four and a half earlier in the week. I felt like there was a little bit of value with North Carolina in this spot. I do think in the end we're going to get Kansas versus Duke, but I do think that both of these games are going to be relatively close. And with North Carolina, I think that Hubert Davis is doing one of the most impressive coaching jobs in the country. Only question is, how are their job shots going to fall slash not fall in a cavernous football arena over there at the New Orleans Superdome? That's the biggest question mark, right? Because like, let's not take anything away from UNC, but they've been shooting the lights out, right? Like, so that's a huge factor. Now you're going into a football stadium. How does that impact things? I don't know. Let me just say this quickly. I'm leaning with UNC plus four and a half. Like it looks like here, I'm siding with points in both of these games. I do think Duke wins this game. I'm just not confident that they cover this number. I just feel like UNC is going to be able to keep it close enough down the stretch to make this one essentially come down to the wire. I don't see how UNC gets this win outright. I know that sounds a little crazy with only a four and a half point cushion in saying that, but I reluctantly lean UNC here with the points as well in just what has to be just a close, amazing spectacle of a matchup here with UNC. Duke, and I don't know if you know this, Greg, but this is Coach K's final season. Oh, yes. Nobody has told me that this is Coach K's final season, but now I do know. But with that said, obviously joking on that one, but I I just think that it is a case in which I wonder how the Duke players are going to respond in-game to this as well, because I'm sure Mm -hmm. that they're hearing all week, oh, this could be the last game that Coach K ever winds up coaching in, and this is the first time North Carolina Duke has squared off in this rivalry. And when you take a look at the regular season, you did wind up having two massive overs. I do think that 
with this being played on a neutral court, everything that it means that these guys are going to have a little bit of a tougher time knocking down shots. So I do wind up leaning to the under in this spot as well, even though North Carolina, a little bit more of a high octane offense, but I really do think that this is one of the most fascinating games ever to handicap just because there's so many elements behind it. I know that there are a lot of Duke fans that are mad because North Carolina did not wind up giving Coach K a gift. To that, I say suck it up. I'm sorry, but if that's the biggest gripe that you wind up having, you really need to find another hobby. But with that said, I take a look at this game and it's just one of those things where I think that regardless of who winds winning it, and I personally have Duke outright personally, it's just one of those games in which I think it's going to be close and I would have a tough time laying more than a possession on either side. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't know how this doesn't come down to the wire. I mean, this is interesting. I don't know how anyone can confidently... Well, I do know how. Let me pause there. I was going to say, I don't know how anyone can confidently take the over, but I mean, Duke has been giving up a ton of points too here, Greg, right? So it's like, once again... You look at the way UNC has been scoring. You look at the way Duke has been scoring. And you even look at the way Duke has been giving up points, especially to some opponents that are average, modest offensive tax at best in MSU and Texas Tech. They've made them look like you know the greatest show on turf or greatest show on hardwood, I guess we can say. So it's like there's a lot of factors and variables here, and you don't know how much weight to really put into each of them. A lot of signs point to an over, but then Duke UNC, Coach K, final season, what's the pressure like with that? The pressure just period being on that stage in the final four in an NFL, you know, as a football stadium like we've been talking about. So I would probably lean towards the under because I could certainly see this game getting out to a slow enough start that could impact the total. But a ton of other signs point towards the over. Like I said, I mean, I'm probably not going to bet this one because as you can see, I am just back and forth on this total. I'm not sure how it's going to play out. Yep, we do have Ryan Rossine of the Philadelphia CityCast joining me on the podcast. And Ryan, one other thing that I think has really been interesting about what we've seen last few weeks of college basketball in general is the coaching carousel as well because you're a man that you're out there in the city of Pennsylvania, so you pay close attention to the Big East. And I think the Big East wound up getting better in recent weeks because you are going to have Sean Miller taking over a Xavier program that yesterday we wound up seeing them in the NIT final. I think the fact that Xavier was able to have this run speaks to, for one, just how bad Travis Steele was at his job because you take a look at it in four years at Xavier, they did not go to the NCAA tournament once under Miller, under Chris Mack, all those guys, they always had been able to sustain success, even Thad Mata back when they were in the Atlantic 10. And I feel like the Big East has just gotten all of a sudden a little bit better with Xavier having a little bit of a coaching change. And I think that things just moving forward for the entirety of the Big East are very bright. You wound up seeing St. John's take a couple strides forward, even though UConn wound up losing the first round of the NCAA tournament. They wound up being able to have a nice regular season. You wound up seeing it with Providence as well. I think that just the overall outlook of the Big East is very bright, and I think that there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be mainstays for quite a while in the national landscape. And uh, how about, you know, Holloway going to Seton Hall is certainly interesting. That didn't take long. I mean, the writing was clearly on the wall for quite some time. I mean, that's that's an exciting move. I'm I'm happy for him, uh, and I'm curious to see how he does, if he can be successful in Seton Hall. I think everyone's rooting for him. But Sean Miller, you're getting an elite head coach returning back to Xavier. He was the head coach, what, like from 2004 to 2009. You're padding up the stats, so to speak, with some more coaches coming in that have a pedigree. And hopefully, listen, I don't know if it's ever going to get back to air quotes, the old 
Big East and the good old days, but it's certainly looking promising. I'm excited for the conference as a whole. Me too. And there's only one place to go for Georgetown, and that is up because they wound up winning as many games as the two of us against Big East competition this last season. So hopefully they wind up getting on the right track. And on this podcast, we always get on the right track whenever you join, Ryan, because you do an absolutely amazing job over there with the Philadelphia CityCast. I mentioned a little bit earlier as well, Sports Radio WIP, one of the best radio stations out there in the country. You do a great job doing some hosting over there. And I know that you've got a lot to talk about when it comes to Philadelphia sports the next few weeks. So let the good people at home get a little bit of a taste of what is to come on the Philadelphia CityCast and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Greg, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for all the kind words. And you do excellent work as well. So uh, keep keep at it, my friend. But yeah, like you said, WiseRye on Twitter, W-I-S-E-R-Y-E. Obviously, the next episode here of the Philadelphia CityCast, we'll be doing a full detailed preview, betting preview, and everything in between for this Villanova game in the Final Four. We'll touch on UNC, UNC Duke as well, besides obviously Villanova and Kansas. We have a ton of 76ers stuff to get to. Joel Embiid was three days ago, Greg, the clear odds-on betting favorite to win the MVP award. They do a little straw poll, and all of a sudden, Nikola Jokic has overtaken him. So plenty to get to, plenty to debate about that. 76ers jockeying for position in the Eastern Conference, the crazy Eastern Conference in the NBA, and Eagles talk. Never rests, never sleeps, and the Phillies dare I say, may be exciting heading into this Major League Baseball season. So like you said, just so much happening in this city led by a Villanova Final Four run. So check us out. Yep, you mentioned the Philadelphia Phillies. The baseball betting podcast is going to be getting back going the next few days. And for those that ask me, what's the name of your baseball betting podcast? The Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. I know (laughs) we went really, really in-depth on that one. We made it very difficult to find. So hopefully you are able to spot that one. But Ryan, He does absolutely amazing work over there in the city of Philadelphia. The Final Four is something he's going to be keeping a keen eye on, along with, he mentioned it, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Phillies, just the, I guess you call it, epicenter of all things sports. Right now going down in the great state of Pennsylvania, and Ryan does a great job of holding it down there. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops, now part of the Beast Family Podcast, and coming up next, wound up seeing a lot of guys enter into the transfer portal. So we're going to sum that up and then give you guys picks and analysis on the Basketball Classic Final between Fresno State and Coastal Carolina as we hit some bank shots. Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Great to get Ryan Rothstein on the podcast. He's doing absolutely terrific work over there in the great state of Pennsylvania, holding it down with the Philadelphia CityCast. So it was great to be able to get his insights on what we're going to be seeing in the Final Four, how Villanova is going to be attacking things. And for those of you guys who are a fan of Philadelphia sports and just a fan of sports in general, because we've got a lot going down out there in the great state of Pennsylvania, Ryan's got you covered with the Philadelphia CityCast. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast, and we take a look at everything that we wound up seeing in college basketball 
football in terms of news and notes on Thursday before we wind up getting into a side in total on the Basketball Classic Final and also the DK Nation pick that goes along with it as well. First, we're going to take a look at a few guys that wound up entering into the transfer portal and a few guys that are coming out of the transfer portal as we wound up seeing a head coaching hiring by the Miami of Ohio Red Hawks as they have decided that they are going to be rolling the dice on Travis Steele and if you ask me, this is the worst hire of the entire process that we've seen. In four years that Travis Steele was over there at Xavier, well, he wound up going to the NCAA tournament zero times and we wound up seeing it after he wound up getting canned by Xavier. They promptly went on an NIT run, so I do think that this is a case in which if you think that Travis Seal is going to be taking you to the promised land, I say probably not. Now, he is someone that should be able to recruit a little bit better than what you were seeing over there at Miami of Ohio. But with that said, I do think that this is a little bit of a sad hiring. I don't think that it's going to be working out for them. I do think that it is very intriguing that we're going to see Bob Huggins go into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, a guy that has been around college basketball for well over 40 years and I know that he wound up having the drunk driving incident many years ago, but certainly one of the best coaches that the game has seen, and he is going to be honored in the Hall of Fame. So, a congratulations to Mr. Huggins and everyone within his corner, and then you wound up seeing just a whole bunch of transfers, and wound up seeing a couple guys declare for the NBA draft as well. Courtney Ramey has decided that he is going to be transferring away from Texas. You can tell that things with regards to the Texas backcourt, they were very, very strange this year to say the least. It's going to be very intriguing to see what the Longhorns wind up looking like because Ramey is someone that wound up spending a lot of years over there with the Longhorns, wound up starting out his career during the 2018-19 season and for the most part was the start of this year right around 9.5 points per contest shot 35% from 3 point range, could never just necessarily take the next level and ball was out of his hands a lot more this season, average 2.9 assists or more each out of his first 3 seasons 1.6 assists this season I do think that he's going to be utilized in a little bit of a different role wherever he winds going and this is a kid that has a lot of talent so I'm going to be very intrigued to see where he winds up going. With regards to LSU, last one to leave, turn off the lights because Eric Gaines along with Efton Reed both decide to transfer out of the program with Gaines someone that wound up averaging 9 points, 3 assists, 3 boards per contest, not necessarily much of a 3 point shooter but one of the best ball hawkers they're going to find in all of college basketball. A little bit over two seals per contest. And then Efton Reed is a guy that stands right around six foot eleven. that's able to bury threes. Not necessarily the world's greatest three-point shooter, but you tell that this season was able to make a little bit of an impact. Six and a half points, right around four and a half boards, a block per contest. He did wind up having a little bit of a dip in his numbers towards back half of the season, but was a top 50 recruit. This is a guy that is going to be able to make an impact regardless of where he winds up going. So I think that that is a big one out there on the transfer portal. Ryan Rapp has decided that he's going to be entering in the transfer portal as well. During his 2020-21 season at Washington State, actually saw some meaningful minutes, three and a half points, a little bit over two assists per contest. This year, he just really was unable to get in off the bench mainly because he's six foot five. He's able to handle the ball, but only shoots a three at right around 27%. If he winds up going down to a little bit of a lower level, I could see him really being able to tear it up at a power five level. He's just not necessarily cut out for it. Robert Carpenter, he was cut out to 
actually give Mississippi Valley State production whenever he was out there. In 12 games for Mississippi Valley State, was their top scorer. Wound up averaging 17.8 points, right around 5 rebounds per contest. I believe that he wanted to be gaining his career at St. Bonaventure. Someone that's saying 6'7", tries to give you a little bit of versatility. Shot right around 32% from 3. Gave you a block per contest. So he was really the bright spot of what was a poop save of a program in Mississippi Valley State this past season. So I do think that there's going to be someone that is going to be very interested in his services. Uh, apparently Valparaiso was interested in the services of someone at the non-D1 level as Nick Edwards has decided that he is going to be going up a level. He is going to be playing for Valparaiso this next season. You take a look at it and he wound up having a relatively limited season this last season at Glenville State. I think that he only wound up playing in something like 12 or 13 games but average 17 points per contest. A guy that's able to dole it out wound up giving you right around 3-ish assists per contest from 3-point range shot 40% from long range. So I do think that he's going to be able to come in and he's going to be able to do a relatively solid job right from the get-go and actually more like 7 assists per contest. I was reading that incorrectly. I saw 87 assists. I'm thinking, yeah, probably right around 3 assists per contest and then I realized he played like 12 or 13 games. So I have a little bit of an issue with him, but if Nick Edwards is able to stay out there on the floor, he should be able to give Valparaiso a little bit of a breath of life. It's going to be interesting to see if Owen Long is going to be able to give a new program a little bit of something else. He was playing over at Youngstown State this last season was able to give the team right around three points per contest. Wound up seeing a few more minutes towards back half of the season, a 38% three-point shooter. He has decided that he is putting his name into the transfer portal. Someone that pulled his name out of the transfer portal and decided on where he's going, that would be the funk. Taylor Funk this last season and really the last five seasons he has spent at St. Joe's. So this is going to be pretty much your number six for him and he's going to be spending it at Utah State. He's a native of the state of Pennsylvania. So this is not a case in which he's going closer home or anything like that. But his last season for Funk shot 37.5% from three as a six foot eight stretch player, 87% at the free throw line, 13.5 points and six half rebounds per game. Now, if you take a look during the 2020-21 season, had more like 17.5 points per game, but a guy that's going to be able stretch of floor. This is a very good get for Utah State, especially if you don't wind up having either Brandon Horvath or Justin Bean back in the fold. So I do like what wound up happening here. I do think that this is a very good addition for Utah State. You've got a couple guys like George's Labrev who's transferring away from Vermont, Christian Tucker from UTSA. These are guys that they're just not going to make much of an impact regardless of where they wind up going. And Rob Brown the third is someone that is going to be transferring away from Niagara. I think that it's going to be very intriguing to see what you wind up getting out of him because this is someone that I think that if he winds up getting a couple more minutes and winds up just being able to find the right program, he can make a little bit of an impact. Someone that was just really not able to find his niche while he was at Niagara during this last season was able to average right in the pocket of about four points per contest. Wound up seeing 16 starts, a 50% three-point shooter. Now, he didn't wind up taking a lot of threes. He took something like 42, 43 threes, so it was a relatively small sample size, but this is a guy that is an underrated sharp shooter that if some Someone is able to give him some minutes, able to have an offense that allows him to be able to get up some shots. I think that he could be very effective. Desi Sills was one of the bigger disappointments in the transfer portal this last season, and he has decided that he is going to be going elsewhere. This is someone that was a starter at Arkansas a few seasons ago during the 2019-20 season in the SEC. Averaged 10.5 points. He was someone that shot right around 33% for three-point range. For his career at Arkansas, shot 35.5% for three-point range. This last year at Arkansas State, he was a starter for the team. Had 12.5 points per contest, but his three-point shooting percentage dipped all the way to 
at 25.5%. When I gave you 3.5 boards, uh, someone that wanted committing to an half turnovers per game, have much higher expectations for him, but a guy that does have a lot of talent. So it's going to be interesting to see what winds up happening from his perspective. And you take a look at Maj Dusanich. He has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. This is someone that was playing for the Dons of San Francisco. This last season really couldn't get out there on the floor. A gentleman from Slovenia. So going to be interesting to see if he's able to find a place in which is able to offer him a little bit more playing time. Shaquille Walters was playing at Northeastern this last season. Actually began his career at Santa Clara. And he has decided that he is coming back for pretty much a sixth season. And he is going to be in the transfer portal. A guy that this last year wound up seeing a little bit of a dip in his rebounding last year. Wound up averaging six half rebounds per game this past season. 11 points, four rebounds per game, and after shooting 38% from three-pointers during the 2020-21 season, just 31% this season, a big reason why you wound up seeing a big dip with Northeastern this year, and they just had the ball in his hands too much. A six foot six gentleman that handles the ball okay, but he shouldn't be running offense all by himself, and you could tell that Northeastern was trying to do so, and as a result, you wound up having three and a half turnovers per game. The system itself just was not a fit for him. They were just trying to utilize him in ways that they should not have, and inside that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. You've also got Carvel Tisset, who wound up entering into the transfer portal. He started this last year at Northwestern State for the Demons. He wound up shooting 37% from three-point range with 13 points and three assists per contest, shooting 84.5% the free line. This is a guy that is able to put up some numbers, so I do like what I'm seeing there. I think that he could be a contributor, even at a Power 5 level. If he goes up to the Power 5 level, no doubt, he is going to be someone that is going to be glued to the bench, but certainly a guy that can wind up giving you some production, along with Kudis Wahab. He was at Maryland this last season, and if you take a look at Wahab during the beginning part of the season, he was able to do a relatively solid job. You gotta feel like it's a case of what could have been, because if he would have stuck around Georgetown, I felt like he was a relatively good fit there. He wound up going elsewhere, and things did not wind up panning out for him, because if you take a look at what you were able to get out of Kudis Wahab, we'll call it until the beginning of the year. So, from the beginning of the year until January 3rd, first 13 games, he averaged 10 points, he averaged a block per contest, was able to give you seven and a half rebounds. Certainly not a guy spacing out the floor or anything like that, but shot 62% from two-point range, so he was able to do a solid job there. And then from January 6th on, the final 19 games of the season, Six points, four and a half rebounds, a half a block per contest. He just wound up cratering, shot 52% from the floor after that. So, Kudus Wahab got off to a really nice start this last season. He had a great fit while he was over there at Georgetown. Now he is in the transfer portal once again after I felt like he just should not have entered it to start with. So, I feel like everyone in this one wound up losing, so it's going to be very interesting to see what winds up happening there. And we've got another gentleman that is going from the non-D1 level up to the D1 level. This is a gentleman from... Ketawaba. It is Caleb Robinson who has decided that he's going to be going up a level to Gardner-Webb. You're going to notice that out there in the Big South. They, among all conferences, probably have the most players that go up from the non-D1 level up to the D1 level. He's from the SAC and a gentleman that this last season, he wound up being able to give you a little bit of something in regards to what he was able to give to Ketawaba. Shot about 32.5% 
from three-point range. 18.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, about a half a block per contest. He was able to give you a steal per game. This is someone that you're going to be looking to for a little bit more versatility than anything else. He's a guy that stands right around six foot five ish Needs to work a little bit on his three-point shot. Got to figure that he's probably not going to be a starter for Gardner-Webb, but certainly going to be able to give this team a little bit of production and is certainly going to be able to give them depth as well because Gardner-Webb is a team that they were really hanging their hat on defense this last season. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Trajan Wesley. He has decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal as well. Someone who played the last three seasons at Louisiana. Sort of an off and on starter this last year. Only wanted giving you four and a half points per contest. Big thing is, he just doesn't necessarily hit the glass for this team. And you wound up seeing his three-point shooting percentage from last year go from 37% to 7.1%. So, a guy that he needs to be able to dish out the ball a little bit more at five foot nine. If he's able to be a little bit more of a facilitator, can certainly be a big cog to a team. If he's not, if he's playing off the ball, well, that is going to be not necessarily a great situation there. Marquise Moore was not necessarily in the world's greatest situation at Southern Utah. Began his career at Detroit. This last season wound up contributing three and a half points per contest over there at Southern Utah. He decided that he's going to be entering into the transfer portal. Six foot six combo player that shot right around 33% from three point range. Another gentleman that you figured that the fit was going to be better than what it was. Eric Williams Jr. He began his career during the 2017-18 season, by the way, at Duquesne. This last season at Oregon, he just wound up fizzling with regards to his production. First year at Oregon, was able to average 10 points per contest. Someone that shot right around 35% from three-point range this last season. He really saw a dip with regards to what he was able to do towards the back half of the season. He did wind up dealing with a little bit of an injury, but towards the first month of the season, he was able to be very solid for this team. And then you take a look at pretty much December 12th on, so the final 25 games of the season. 7.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, shot 32% from three-point range. If he winds up finding the right fit, he's already proven that in the Pac-12, he's able to do a relatively solid job, so going to be interesting to see who winds up picking him up. Frank Anselm, a former top 250 recruit, he has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal, and Anselm, I think, is a guy that in the right system is going to be solid. He just did not wind up fitting that 2-3 zone. He really doesn't have a lot of versatility. Overall, wound up getting right around 14 and a half minutes per contest, but it's a little bit deceiving because when you wind up having Syracuse dealing with all those injuries, you did wind up seeing a lot more minutes. So you take a look at it from pretty much Valentine's Day on the final nine games of the season. He averaged only three and a half points per contest, but 7.2 rebounds per game. He's able to be a good designated rebounder. He's able to give you 1.2 blocks per contest. The offensive game is not there with him. The defense, it certainly is. So I think that whoever winds up picking him up, if they wind up utilizing him in a little bit more of a defensive stopper role, they're going to be happy with what they wind up getting. If they're expecting a lot of offense, well, not so much. Sabian Sims, he just has not been able to find it at either Northern Kentucky or North Dakota. He decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal at North Dakota two seasons ago. Average 6.5 points, 4.5 boards. A guy that from three-point range shot right around 36% for three actually began his career at Kirk. Kirkwood Community College. Guy that had six foot seven, is able to give you a little bit of versatility, just could not wind up getting out there on the floor with Northern Kentucky. So he decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. Oscar Lopez Jr. has decided that he's going to be entering in the transfer portal as well. Someone that was just banged up this last season at Central Michigan. And while he was out there, was actually productive. 
10 points, 4.5 boards, shot 38.5% from three-point range, six foot four, do a little bit of everything sort of guy that if he's able to stay healthy, if he's able to just find a set role for him, I think that he could be a relatively solid player. Problem has been, he just has been banged up the last few years. So you certainly hope for nothing but the best for him, along Jameer Moultrie. Moultrie this last season at Kennesaw State. And this guy's been a globetrotter. While the beginning of his career at LaSalle, played for a season at NC Central. This last year at Kennesaw State is we give our Ode to Lane Kiffin. Goals. He wanted to give the team 7.5 points per contest. Really a good three-point shooter for his career. 40.5% three-point shooter this last year. Shot 41.8% from three-point range. Just really doesn't do anything else. Averaged 1.2 assists, 0.7 rebounds per game. It's either shoot a three and he's only five foot eleven, or he winds up giving you absolutely nothing whatsoever. So a team that might be in need of a guy that takes a whole bunch of threes as a little bit of a shorter gentleman might be interested in his services. It's going to be interesting to see if anyone's interested in Kyler Filewich because he has decided that he's going to be entering in the transfer portal as well. A guy that at six foot nine was just allergic to rebounding this year at Southern Illinois. First year at Southern Illinois had five and a half rebounds and seven points per contest this last year. Four and a half points, three boards. Not a guy that necessarily spaces out the floor. A guy that if he winds up putting a little bit more effort into rebounding, can actually be able to make it in college basketball, but we have yet to see that from him. And then in terms of guys that wind up entering into the NBA draft, Courtney Ramey is in the NBA draft, but he's also in the transfer portal, so you gotta figure that he's pretty much going to be transferring elsewhere unless if I wind up seeing something that is quite surprising. Adonis Arms has decided that he is going to be entering into the NBA draft, and he is entering with an agent, so it looks like his time at Texas Tech is going to be right about done, and I think that that's a little bit intriguing. Now, there are some agents that you're able to sign with and you're able to maintain their eligibility. It doesn't sound like that's going to be the case, and it is a case in which I just think that he's just so old that he wants to just start playing in the NBA because he actually wound up beginning his college basketball career during the 2016-17 season at Community College at level in Mesa, Arizona, so you give him a lot of credit for being able to build himself up. He's not going to be picked really at all. He shot 31% from three with eight and a half points per game, three assists per contest. I mean, a good gritty guard at six foot six that does a little bit of everything okay, doesn't necessarily do one thing great. He'll be able to earn a paycheck somewhere. I don't think that that paycheck is going to be in the NBA, but you wish him nothing but the best. Johnny Davis, he's going to be leaving Wisconsin. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. A guy that is a finalist for pretty much every player of the year award possible. Averaged 19.7 points, eight and a half boards from three point range, was able to shoot it, and only about 31% from three. But what I find very intriguing about Johnny Davis is that if you take a look at what he wound up doing away from home, he was actually significantly better than when he was at home. You take a look at him during his home games this season, 14 in total. He averaged 17 and a half points, seven and a half boards, wound up shooting 28.6% from three point range. In true road games, shot 35 and a half percent from three with 22 points per contest. So I think that Johnny Davis is going to be a lottery pick. Everyone in their right mind would have seen this coming, so you're expecting it to be a little bit of a rough ride for Wisconsin this next season, but we wound up seeing that this last year as well, although I don't think that they're going to be having a player by the name of Johnny Davis who's going to be in the pipeline. They actually do have his brother, by the way, but I think that's going to be a little bit rough there. Fabian White Jr. decided to enter into the NBA draft as well. Man that spent five years at Houston was a starter this year with 12.5 points, 5.5 boards, shot 37.5% from three-point range, was really able to work on his range, a steal, and 1.5 blocks per contest. 
this guy that is six foot eight, very, very solid player. You figured that this would be the end of his time, and you decide that he is going to be entering in the NBA draft, Jaden Ivey as well. I saw in some places that Jaden Ivey is the projected number one pick in the draft. I don't know if I can necessarily get behind that. Now, Ivey, I think, should be a, no doubt a lottery pick, and this is a guy that is going to be able to earn millions in the NBA, and he's going to be a solid NBA player. I don't know if I could see number one overall pick. Now, he really worked on his three-point shot this last year. First year at Purdue, shot 25.8% from three-point range, 35.8% this season season, 17 and a half points, four boards, three assists, very solid player, but I just don't know if I see the number one overall pick in Jaden Ivey. That's just me personally, but he certainly is going to be able to make millions, so you do wish him, once again, nothing but the best. You do that for pretty much all these guys. They provided us a lot of entertainment. These are guys that, aside from really NIL deals, they don't make a whole lot of money, and them being able to make millions in the NBA, good for them. And also good for us that we've got a game on this Friday as I give you picks and analysis on the Basketball Classic Final as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. If we see any changes made to this, I will be noting them on my Twitter feed at JRSCORD1 as this has already been pushed back once. So let's get right down to it as we've got 893, 894 on the betting board. And obviously, DK Nation pick is coming from this game because well, it's the only game on the board as you've got Fresno State and Coast Carolina doing battle. Coast Carolina, a three point home underdog with your total on this game, 126 and a half, seeing his couple straight 127s out there as well. I do mind him saying my total at a 127 and a half. This is by the fact that you've got a Fresno State team that with regards to total possessions per game, they are a team that's in the bottom 10 in all of college basketball, but they've been able to do a relatively solid job with their offense and they've got Orlando Robinson really being able to fire on all cylinders. You take a look at Orlando Robinson and I do think that he's going to be the X factor in this game and he is a big reason why the DK Nation pick is going to be Fresno State on the spread. I did wind up making Fresno State in this spot a four-point favorite. You take a look at him overall for the season for Robinson 19.5 points, 8 rebounds, 2.8 assists at 1.2 blocks per contest as a true seven-footer, shooting 34.5% from three overall, but when he goes away from home, he shoots 38.5% from three with 22 points per contest. Fresno State, 21st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and if you look at true road games, they are number 13. Coastal Carolina, they're solid on, on defense as well, 52nd in the country, and they've got a pair of guys in Vince Cole and Rudy Williams that combined to be able to give you right around 41 to 42% three-point shooting. Both of these guys have been relatively rock solid, but you take a look at Coastal Carolina, they have a tough time being able to take care of the ball. 302nd among 358 D1 teams with turning the ball over in right around 20% of their possessions. That is a little bit of a rough spot for them. Now, with Coastal Carolina, they're going to be going up against a Fresno State team in which the defense might not necessarily be as sell because they have been dealing with a couple of injuries. Anthony Allen gives you 9.5 points, 6 half boards, 44% three-point shooter and has really been a good on-ball defender for this team. Has been missing for the last few games along Junior Ballard, but you've been noticing that you've been able to see quite a bit recently out of Jordan Campbell. Campbell is a guy that wound up having 11 points, 5 boards, and 3 assists in that win over Southern Utah a couple days ago. Not necessarily a great 3-point shooter at 28%, but has been able to rise up as the season has went along. And then I do like what you're able to get as well out of Isaiah Hill. 10 points, right around 3.2 assists per contest. Has been able to give the team at least 8 points in 4 of the last 5 games and 3 plus assists in 4 of the last 5. And in this time span as well, last 4 games, he has committed just 5 turnovers in that time span as well. You've also got to figure that Dustin Whitaker, who's been 
seeing more minutes is going to be seeing that once again. Last two games has averaged 29 minutes per contest. It's giving you a combined 23 points to one turnover in that time span. So I do think that he's going to be able to do a solid job. And then with Coastal Carolina, Isam Mustafa, solid down low, 13 points, nine and a half boards. You've got Abrima Debo is able to give you five assists per game, but also turns the ball for three times per game. Shoots 34.5% from three. Coastal Carolina's hole, they shoot 36% from distance. And I think that they'll do an okay job of being able to can shots against the Fresno State defense that's right around 90th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Coastal Carolina, a top 25 team with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. But with that said as well, this is a Coastal Carolina team that they're not going to be able to crank up the pressure on Fresno State, 236th in the country with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis. And the Bulldogs, they do a good job of not allowing second chances. Opponents get an offensive rebound on 20.3% of their misses. Fresno State, I think, is going to be able to dominate this game. And I do think that Fresno State is going to be able to push this total over with the way that they wind up shooting free throws. They've given themselves 67 plus points in four of their last five games. So I do wind up saying this total at a 127F. I'm looking over and with Fresno State set them as a four-point favorite and they are the DK Nation pick laying the points. That will wrap things up for the Friday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops. Now part of the Beeson family of podcasts. Big thanks to Ryan Rossi of the Philadelphia CityCast along with WIP Radio out there in Philadelphia for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, want to have you for this podcast, you have one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM, naming does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five-star review. I'm coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season and into the offseason as well, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. 